Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Greg Fish, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good, thank you very much. Have you ever had a car that had a name? You know what? I have not. I have considered it for a few cars, but ultimately decided against it. My wife, on the other hand, her car has a name. And? So it's a Honda Element, and her name is Large Marge. Oh, that's fun. Nice. That's good. She has a theme song, but due to a court order, I cannot sing it for you. <laughs> um, Trucker Dan says that uh, Jason Manalis's, uh car, uh, Lily, has a theme song, too, and it's Lily Shark, do 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 Lily Shark, do 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 Nope. I'm cut off. <laughs> I, uh, anyway. How's it going, Fish? Uh, yeah, doing well. Just listening to uh, the shift unplugged here. Yeah, we're uh, we're hanging out with uh, the election day upon um, the coverage. It's kind of like Super Bowl coverage. You know how Super Bowl coverage starts like 11 hours before the Super Bowl? Um, the overnight yeah. coverage has begun on US TV. Um, the overnight coverage is like they're having a meeting about the meeting that they're going to have. The election coverage is covering the coverage that says coverage begins in 13 hours. And in the meantime, the vast majority of Americans are just having an existential scream going off in their heads. But, you is know, this, unrelated. It, uh, as you live in Merca. Is it stressful? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why I wanted to talk about space junk. I, I, I honestly would rather talk about just about anything else. Anything else but American politics? Yeah, uh, yeah. Honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this and 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 leave it at that. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to politics, the last four years have been so stressful that we are just kind of a lot of people in America are just looking for a release. We'd like to we'd like to be out of the crazy news cycle where everything goes wrong every five minutes, and we wake up every morning looking at a damage report. We just want to be able to pay attention to something else for just. 15 minutes that that's all, right. all we ask all right well let's let's do that now world of weird that's where greg fish keeps all of his weird thoughts some of them stranger than others uh space junk why space can't be our trash can um seems like a pretty good point for me i take the perspective of two things number one flaming things through the ozone number two gravity what are your thoughts yeah, those are, um, well, gravity is very important. That's what keeps us down. And uh, flaming things going through the atmosphere are usually harmless, but sometimes can be very, very bad. So where are we going with space junk here? You were kind of excited about this. I'm going to call you out. You were excited about space junk this week. Well, I'm not excited about space junk, but I'm kind of excited to talk about it because it's one of those um, it's one of those topics that doesn't really get discussed a lot outside of um, like really the hardcore space community. So I thought maybe a very interesting thing to shine a light on because we've been going to space since the late 1950s and we've left a lot of stuff in orbit. So a lot of rocket stages, a lot of debris. Uh, a lot of stuff that has come off uh, of satellites and decommissioned satellites. And they're all just kind of orbiting up there. And for the most part, it was fine up until a couple decades ago when the concentration has become, there's so much stuff up there um, that now there's actually, um, there's actually warnings that satellites, defunct satellites are about to crash into each other and form a cloud of debris that might pose a danger to other satellites or even the International Space Station. And as these potential collisions are getting more and more frequent, uh, a, lot of space, um, a lot of space agencies and engineers are saying, well, what are we going to do about space junk? How can we clean stuff up? Um, and in the meantime, uh, there's basically really no law or no governing body that says, okay, well, you can't have a bunch of a bunch of junk up in space 
you have to clean up this much of it or you only you have to have a monitoring system that makes sure there's no space junk right now the only monitoring systems are looking for collisions to make sure that stuff doesn't bump into each other and to issue warnings but other than that it's kind of just like well eh, you know go knock yourself out go put a satellite up into orbit make sure it doesn't hit anything but other than that have fun do you know how they avoid that stuff? Because what I'm hearing, and from my understanding about space junk, like there's a lot of stuff, and I would assume because it's moving so quickly that even like a screw or a bolt could have a drastic impact on, you know, something that's supposed to be there. Oh yeah, it's like um, it's like getting shot, but you know, even more intense because the velocity is just so high. Um, yeah, absolutely. A, a loose screw or a piece of shrapnel after a collision could be absolutely deadly to a lot of modern spacecraft. Um, so some of the solutions are, well, maybe instead of using metal, we're going to use inflatable spaceships that are made out of Nomex and Kevlar and all these high-tech fabrics that can take an impact um, and keep going it, it be, just simply because they can flex so things can bounce off of them. Um, but it also doesn't negate the problem of, well, we have all this crap floating around. We should probably get it down um, into the atmosphere and burn it uh, on, a, on its way down. This, this would be the best way to get rid of it. Unfortunately, the problem is that we have to agree on what pieces of junk can be deorbited and how and when. And then you start running into things like, well, what happens if there is a collision or there's an accident as you're trying to deorbit a piece of space junk and you accidentally destroy somebody's satellites or some other government satellite? That can technically be considered an act of war. What if you take down a spy satellite and the nation in question retaliates? So there's a lot of questions and there's not a lot, there hasn't really been a lot of action from um, the standpoint of governments to come together and say, we got to clean up our orbit because we want access to space. We don't want our spaceships to have to dodge debris every time we launch them. Um, so we have to have a system that coordinates who's going into space, when, how, and make sure that there's minimal debris left. And if there's debris, how can we get rid of it quickly? Well, that was my next question. I mean, are we sending Ben Affleck up for this? Like, how do we get rid of it? Oh, we really should. Um, just because it would be cool, you know. Um, just to send space, Ben Affleck space, to space. <laughs> space Junk Man. I, I see a movie right there. We could, we could finance the mission. Yeah, Ooh, we Matt, could finance a song, the mission Matt. right there. Hey, Space Junk Man. All right, we can work on the song. Yeah, I might might take a couple of trials, but uh, yeah. So uh, ideally, though, we would send a robot that would have a laser. And with that laser, it would hit certain pieces of debris or defunct satellites and slow them down so they can basically just fall into a really long, um, long trajectory back into the atmosphere and burn up somewhere over ideally the Pacific Ocean because that is the largest body of water where there's the fewest people and the least possibility of anybody getting hit by anything. And then uh, the smaller junk would probably be captured by a net. And all of these designs are out there. It's just that they have not been tested because no one has really provisioned for them to get fully tested. But that said, the designs exist. They have been tried in the lab up until the point where we should be launching prototypes and experimenting on deorbiting space junk and cleaning up space debris. It does sound a little bit like frickin' sharks with frickin' laser beams. I mean, you could make them, you can make the robots look like frickin' sharks with laser beams because in space there's no, there's very little drag. That would be pretty cool. You know, just, just like little sharks swimming through space, hitting everything. I, I can get behind this. This is a great idea. This is a fantastic idea. Uh, Trucker Dan says, why don't we send Chuck Norris up? He can just punch everything. So, <laughs> it's a good point. So where, how do we Might do this? Though? We, we need like a, we need like a Roomba for space now to go suck up all the stuff. Like, is this something that's catastrophic here, Greg fish, or is this one of those things that just knocks out something and becomes inconvenient? No, it can become a huge problem. 
the more debris that we put into orbit, the more stuff that we have to navigate through, the more of a chance that it can hit a crewed mission or a crewed spacecraft, uh, the more of a chance that something can go wrong. Uh, you know, we have a lot of critical infrastructure in space. You know, we're putting up satellites that provide high-speed Internet. We have weather satellites. We have GPS. We rely on them every single day. If something hits them and they get knocked out, we are looking at less accurate GPS. We're looking at bad weather forecasts that might be uh, a huge problem in cases of emergency or severe weather or tracking firestorms and, and so on and so forth. We may be looking at national security issues as surveillance satellites are being knocked out. Um, this is this is actually a really big problem, um, and we have maybe about 25, 30 years to clean this up before we're going to start having real serious issues in accessing low Earth orbit. Do we have a um, do we do we have an example of anything being broken yet? Oh, there have been numerous satellites that have collided um, and, and left a bunch of shrapnel. Um, there were a couple of near misses where um, really just, just a couple meters were, were separating these satellites. There was a scare uh, actually just a couple of weeks ago as two defunct satellites almost smashed into each other. Um, so there, there have definitely been um, there have definitely been some very disconcerting events. Hmm. I find it concerning, Greg Fish. I do find it concerning. Um, it seems like something that's made for Hollywood. And if we can try to stop asteroids, we can try to stop satellites, or at least bolts from hitting satellites. I mean, we really should. We really should do both. Um, maybe we can have the sharks with lasers. I mean, we'd probably use lasers to deflect asteroids too. That's. I think that's really the solution: orbiting sharks with lasers. The um, there was that leak in the space station just recently, um, and I mean that that to me seems really concerning when you're in space and then all of a sudden I don't know what you hear. Do you hear like a whistle, like when you when your windows open like a crack in the car? And there was that leak in the space station recently. So I imagine something like that could happen where a bolt just kind of goes flying into like that's weird. That's a weird way to live. Hmm, it's interesting. Okay, so if you go to worldofweirdthings.com, uh, Greg Fish's uh, article and podcast is there for you to check out. As well, World of Weird Things articles, World of Weird Things podcast. That sounds fantastic. Why space can't be our trash can. Greg Fish, I wish you sweet dreams through the course of the night tonight. And I hope that when you wake up, uh, your damage report isn't too bad. Thank you very much. And it's always a pleasure. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Well, here we are a couple days into November, although you wouldn't know it in Calgary where I am. I uh, was, we set a record today, like 23 point something degrees, which is fantastic. Now where this guest is, it's very wet and uh, lots of heavy wet on the way. Gotta love this country. Hey, cold, cold in the East, warm in the West, warm in the West, cold in the East, warm in the East, cold in the West. Oh my God. Can't make up its mind. Uh, John Jang is here Friday night, host of the shift after working a ton and then taking some time off last week from the show. Yeah, that's right. I was uh, filling in as show producer on 980 CKNW, something I had never really done before. So I was essentially Jason for a week on CKNW. And uh, you know what? Maybe a newfound appreciation for what Jason does. There's a lot of multitasking yeah. involved, man. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> You're going to boost his ego. We're going to shoot him down here shortly. Exactly. You got to you got to soften him up, and then uh, eventually, you know, you, you lead him out yeah. to the back of the barn. You know, take drag care of him down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So, how's the show going for him, Fries? By the way, I mean, everyone loves it. I always listen before I go to bed. Um, and, uh, and all that stuff. I mean, how are you feeling? Feeling well, good? Well, yeah, thank you. Um, that's awesome. Uh, I am loving it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I guess we're a couple of months into it now and it's just, yeah, it's been a great experience. Uh, the people, uh, the, you know, the, everyone listening, Roadhammer, uh, Catherine, and like everyone, it, they're always just so nice and they're always so willing to get involved in the conversation. And, I'm still learning, right? And, and that's the best part too, is that every single week I'm getting a better idea of which topics people are more interested about, which topics that I thought would would be working out uh, really well turn out to be duds. And then vice versa, um, you know, when you think you are got a nothing burger and then all of a sudden it just blows up. And right. that's the beauty of radio, right? Like you can, it, you can plan, you can strategize all you want, but really it's what 
triggers and, and maybe connects with people. And so I'm still learning that, but every single show so far has been a blast. And uh, it What's was your good favorite to have... one. My favorite one topic. Yeah. Oh, you know that what? You've we, run into like when we had the election show, that was uh, the last show that Matt and I worked together so far because uh, I wasn't here last week. Uh, that was kind of neat because, uh, you know, we, we kind of just had this fake election on the show and then lots of people were so excited about it. I, I, I guess, you know, they were kind of they found it quirky. They found it fun. And so we got a lot of write in candidates, um, mm -hmm. including like inanimate objects. Because people, I did hear about the inanimate objects. The flapper pie was a big winner. Absolutely, BC, flapper pie BC, is like yep. sneaky, very popular on the show. Like honestly, yeah. it might be one of the maybe top two, top three personalities on the show. So yeah. it's uh, it, it's definitely one of those top contenders. But even that, and then this like the soda versus pop thing, which Matt and I never discussed going into that show. I just kind of made an off the cuff remark about how I call it soda and it's not pop. And then that just kind of translated into this huge, huge debate. Uh, kind of like when you just open a, a bottle of worms or can of worms or whatever it is. So it's uh, just those unexpected things that just lead into such big, interesting conversations and how people are passionate about whether it's soda or whether it's pop and finding out, you know, why does it matter? <laughs> I guess it does matter. And I had my Canadian citizenship re revoked. So there you go. Oh, there you go. Send you home. Um, <laughs> John Jang, Friday night host of The Shift. Now, John sent an email out um, asking us to participate in Movember. And um, me, I've already been growing out my beard with some intention behind it. Uh, so I did decline for the mustache part, but said I would support you and I will make a donation to your cause. Um, you've got a friend on there too. And um, what is it about Movember, men's health, men's physical health, men's mental health? Is is there a personal story there that gets you or how, do, how does this uh, become such an important part for you? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, I mean, first of all, uh, thank you again. Um, first, you know, everyone struggles with uh, depression, depression, anxiety. Uh, some people might still be struggling with uh, some of that. And it's very understandable. We're getting a better understanding that people uh, do struggle with it. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a fault or anything. It's just very normal. It's a very human trait and condition. And I guess when I was younger, Shane, I, I didn't really know that because there just wasn't as much conversation. There wasn't as much dialogue when it came to depression. And coming from uh, an immigrant immigrant family um, that are pretty traditional, uh, for example, my father, when he was depressed, he would never know it. Like he would never have understood it. And I remember for me, the strange moment where the Sunday morning, um, my dad, who usually took that day off from work, was watching this documentary on on the television and I just came downstairs and I saw him with tears in his eyes. And that's really strange for me because my dad is the kind of dad that just never cries like about anything, even onions, forget it. He'll just grit his teeth and power through it. And I saw him there just emotional and shaken up. And so I went over there. I'm like, dad, what's wrong? Like I, I thought something had seriously gone wrong or something. And the documentary that he had been watching was about the Korean war. And he, um, you know, is, is yeah, and your, your family's Korean for those who don't know. Yes. And he is uh, now in his sixties. So he grew up in the aftermath of what the Korean war did to the country. It was devastated. And when you look at the Google images of Korea, now you see this massive metropolitan city, technologically, super, superpower, you know, you see skyscrapers everywhere. Uh, you see this, the subway systems and how it's one of the best, but in reality, when my dad was growing up, none of that existed. It was still war-torn. There were so many uh, families that are uh, devastated, uh, fallen apart, and those were his experiences. So when he watched this documentary, I guess it just resonated with some of the experiences that he went through when he was younger. And he just kind of had this moment where it just all kind of broke down for him. And he was able to, <laughs> maybe for the first time in my life, honestly speaking, uh, cry about it and just, just be real in that moment. So I remember the conversation we had um, which is always, is always a little difficult because my Korean's not great and his English isn't great. So there's a bit of a language barrier. But what I understood from him was that he never got to really maybe understand how great we have it here until he managed to see that documentary that day and see what he came from. And some of the upbringings, like his grandpa, or, uh, my grandfather, his dad was never, um, you know, affectionate. He had three older brothers and none of them were terribly affectionate. So he grew up in a very masculine household that was all about, you know, B 
be strong, do what's right for the family at all, at all times. And so he kind of bur- had this burden on his shoulders for his entire life up until honestly, that documentary kind of shook him. And now I, you know, I see him, he smiles, he jokes, he is able to like share jokes with me on, on text messages, which had never really happened before any of that happened before the documentary. So it, it just changed him. And that was one of those moments where I knew like, okay, like depression does obviously have uh, a story for, for everyone. And mine was, was, was my dad, uh, certainly personally, you know, I've gone through uh, tough moments, breakups, all that uh, career failures, job failures, whatever it is. We, we've been through all these things. And I guess the message here tonight, uh, trying to get people to sign up with our team on Movember.com is to just let people know that, Hey, Movember, of, of course, they do such a great job with cancer awareness and, and trying to fight uh, testicular and prostate cancer. But something that people don't really know about Movember.com is that they are also trying to raise awareness for mental health and, um, uh, suicide prevention. And that's a very important element to this whole movement that happens every year that maybe goes uh, a little below the surface. So really wanted to bring that to light. And if people have stories that they want to share, or if they just want to get involved with the team by joining, uh, donations are optional, of course, so don't feel compelled. But if you can, great. Uh, we would love to hear your stories and and get a chance to really just let them let them be shared and, and air them out. Because I think through sharing those experiences, there's catharsis and, and maybe a feeling of, of not getting over it, but taking that next step forward. Very well said. If you go to Movember.com, um, you're going to uh, in search in the search bar, just search for a team and the shift, and you're going to see a picture of John Jang with a, a much uh, more luscious mustache <laughs> than the one he's sporting a couple of days into November so far. Um, but it's going to look handsome. It's the beauty of all the things. And one of my favorite things that I used to do in November, I actually started, and I, this isn't a, 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 torn, a horn tooting thing. Before November came to Canada, I didn't know anything about it. But I did a thing called Mustache for Cash, and we did it in February. Oh. And then November came, and I was like, wow, this is like kismet. Perfect. And um, and so I, I did it every year, and I kind of got the 70s, early 80s police porno stash thing going on. Right on. Um, it was uh, it was brutal, but it was awesome at the same time. And um, I used to love walking through downtown and looking at all the dudes that walked around with mustaches all of a sudden. And it was a very handsome thing. And um, uh, it's great that men are talking about it more. So we're going to keep the conversation here on um, on the weekday version of the program. Um, I'm assuming you guys are going to keep it alive on the Fridays too? Yeah, absolutely. Every Friday this month, we're going to highlight one uh, team member that decided to join our team on Movember.com and, and maybe reach out to them, see if we can yeah, ask a few questions. Like, why did you want to join? Who are you fighting for? Who are you growing a mustache for this year? Can you share a photo of it? Because we would love to share that on our social media feeds. And uh, one thing that I really want to encourage, again, for people that want to join, you don't have to donate, but if you can spread the words, share that link with your friends, family, colleagues, whatever, what I'm going to do is the four people that we have a chance to have a conversation with every Friday this month, I'll be sending them um, a full-on shaving and grooming kit, men's shaving and grooving kits that I'll send personally. I'll sanitize the box so you can make sure that it's COVID-19 friendly. And uh, at the end of uh, the month, on the final Friday, which I believe is on the 27th, I get to share uh, whatever amount of money that we raise. I think we have an ambitious target goal of $2,500. Honestly, I don't really care if we only raise $200. At least we're doing that much, but we'll get to celebrate. Maybe I'll get Matt to play some music on that sick guitar of his. I haven't asked him about it yet, but I'm hoping that he'll be in the mood. Yeah, he will be. Um, I look forward to it. I want to see what this thing looks like in a few weeks. Um, uh, the thing being your mustache. And um, and uh, does anyone of your uh, Korean uncles or uh, anybody rock a mo in no, your family? No, not at all. No. And, and in fact, like when I when I do happen to grow one uh, out of season, out of mo- uh, November, my my parents hate it. They they really don't yeah. like it at all. And anytime I send uh, like a selfie to my mom or dad with a mustache or any kind of facial hair. They're, they're just like, oh, you are so ugly. Oh, I cannot yeah. believe. It's a good thing you work on radio. Like, honestly, they send me those kinds of comments. Oh, my mom says that to me. <laughs> it's, like, it's, you know, it's such a classic joke. Like, oh, you got, you got a face for radio. They honestly are not big fans of the mustache. And, and to be fair, like, I only have 20 individual hair strands that grow on my upper lip. So 20 is <laughs> a good number, though. It's a solid number. And maybe it's 21 this year. I don't know. But uh, I'll do my best. Because it's not about looking great and handsome. Although... 
Shane, that beard does look ruggedly handsome. It's Thanks, just buddy. being part of something really neat and something really cool. And it's a great cause. And if you have to look like a pervert for a month, honestly, I can take that price. That's a solid price for me. Yeah, that's good. I love it. Um, John Jang, Friday nights on the shift um, with Movember. Go to Movember.com, search the shift. You'll find the team and the conversation will stay alive uh, through the course of the entire month. And I think it's one of the intentional things that I would like to bring to the show just to more in general. Um, I don't think that we need to uh, mail it in, um, you know, after Mo- November's done. So I'd like to do that. So men talking to men is an important conversation for me. Uh, it's great to see your face, brother. Thank you so much for uh, for being here and sharing the good word. I'm going to go make fun of Jason's mustache now, <laughs> and uh, and we'll be good to go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see if he can get at least 19 hairs. I think I got one more extra, so uh, I get bragging rights for now. <laughs> Thanks, John. You got it. Thank you. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. As the conversation we just had with John Jang, uh, Movember is here, and there are so many pieces of this puzzle that kind of get lost. Movember, boy, those guys have done a, a couple of really great things. They started out with, uh, you know, sort of check your stuff and prostate health and all those things, and they've moved into uh, men's health in general. And one of the things that men are typically terrible at is talking about their health and sharing with other men. I like to be a stand for conversations with uh, men. I always say this is that when men learn how to speak to men, that's when we change the world. And when men learn how to speak to men, that's when we create a whole new level of relationships with women. And one of the gentlemen um, that I do enjoy conversation with very much uh, has taken some time uh, to be a part of this and can speak to all of this very personally. Uh, w. Brett Wilson is uh, is with us on the show. Hey, Brett. Good evening. Uh, thanks for thinking to include me in this conversation. Well, this one is uh, is close to you. Man, you've been through the ringer uh, yourself. Uh, come out the other side and, and still, you know, fighting the stay healthy fight all day, every day. Uh, for those who don't understand, Brett, maybe you want to, um, uh, share a bit of the, the past story with, with cancer and you and what you've been through. Sure. The, um, sure. Here we go. Yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) I was 43 years old when I was first diagnosed with, uh, prostate cancer. I had, um, an elevated PSA that I, hadn't paid any attention to for two or three years. The high PSA came in, doctors said, hey, I'd like you to go and get a biopsy done right away. I get the biopsy done, I get the call saying, um, sorry, but I got no choice but to say you've got prostate cancer. And uh, I then undertook a process of looking at radiation and surgery and freezing and what was state-of-the-art technologies 20 years ago ended up doing a radiation physiotherapy called brachytherapy. Uh, the good news is it worked. The bad news is I got burned pretty bad by the radiation in terms of uh, overflow. And so you end up bleeding from the colon, bleeding from the bladder and bleeding from the urethra. So at about year five, I spent an inordinate amount of time down in the States and in several parts of Canada, getting people to help me with um, the burning, the side effects of radiation. The good news is 13, 14 years later, I'm clear of the radiation side effects. I'm clear of cancer when damned if my PSA doesn't start going up again. So here we are 2016, four or five years ago, I end up with a bunch of um, tumors. A bunch of lymph nodes are lit up with uh, cancer. We go back to radiation, put that to bed. The good news is radiation cystitis is in the background, so I don't have a problem there. And then last summer, my PSA started to elevate again in the spring. And by summertime, we found a couple of tumors in my spine that had to be radiated. And I will admit that I ended up in the States on round one and round two because of choices, because of options, because of technology, because of service and support. But the third trip to the uh, to the radiation ward, uh, if you call it that, was in fact in Calgary, and I was delighted to be in Calgary. The quality of people, quality of experience, the quality of service, the quality of equipment was extraordinary. So that was my uh, third run with prostate cancer. Uh, in between, I've had a whole bunch of issues around the urethra freezing up and seizing and having to open it and... Uh, most guys would squirm at the thought of having their urethra opened, and uh, I do too. Yeah. And uh, 
just most recently I was in the, uh, the Rocky view, uh, really just last Saturday, having that same surgery done and real quickly, I'll overlay that there's also been a whole series of mental health challenges from, uh, um, the roller coaster of depression and anxiety to, uh, uh, an exposure of some sort to, uh, bipolar disorder. So, um, when I, uh, when I look at what the folks at Movember are doing, I can get pretty emotional at the efforts they're making to bring men together. Uh, it is remarkable, um, what happens with the conversation and thank you for, um, sharing in such detail. Uh, what what you you've gone through? <laughs> Maybe too much detail for some guys. Well, no, you know what? I'll even I'll even uh, sort of attest to that. Uh, cancer is big in my family. It killed my grandfather. Prostate cancer killed my grandfather. Um, on oh. my mom's side, that was my dad's side. On my mom's side, um, her brothers had cancer. So I'm one of those prime candidates. So I'm 45 this year, but I think it was three years ago. I two two years ago I went for my first physical to get things done and I'll, I'll tell all the fellows look it's not that bad um I had <laughs> surgery um unrelated on my shoulder and ended up with um you know the painkiller constipation stuff and we'll just talk for it like it is I mean I'm oh. not afraid uh and then so much so uh right after my surgery because I was on the painkillers um that it actually uh the pressure closed up my urethra so I had to go through a similar uh thing with that in order to relieve just the the bladder fluid and then deal with the other things with it. So men don't talk about these things enough. Men don't talk about mental health enough. And I also want to acknowledge the part, just because people make decisions to travel for healthcare doesn't diminish the healthcare, uh, other healthcare options. It just means that sometimes those things fit. Um, and that matters too. So um, how do we get better at this, Brett? I mean, in my time around you, our conversations have always been open. Um, I'm big on existential study. I'm big on the experience of humans and sharing that. Um, in fact, tonight before we got into this conversation, I was in a seminar uh, doing exactly that. So what what can we do to encourage the fellas that don't want to don't feel like there's something wrong or don't want to talk about these things because it's possible it, it could save your life just sharing info and just sharing info that you have, you might not even know something you've gone through could actually save someone else's life. Cause if you took two or three years of those high uh, blood tests, you know, off of your list, I mean, the outcome could be different. Oh, very much so. So I, I get frustrated by the number of men who still feel they have to downplay the um, exposure they've had to cancer or in particular prostate cancer. I still remember a guy in a bar coming over and whispering in my ear. He said, I heard you got cancer of the dick. How are you feeling? <laughs> well, it's not quite the dick and it's sort of in the region, but yeah. it's, I'm feeling fine, but thanks for asking. I still have friends who haven't told their sons and daughters that they had uh, had to have prostate cancer surgery or, or treatment. Uh, I still remember when I, phoned my dad to say I'd uh, just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. He said, oh, damn, first me, then Uncle Ben, then you. And I said, whoa, Uncle Ben? He said, oh, yeah, I wasn't supposed to mention that. Wow. So there's his own brother, my uncle, and it was meant to be sort of a, again, was it a secret or just a not for discussion kind of experience? And so, but I think we've come a long, long way. You know, uh, when I did my 50th birthday party for the bunch of guys, there was 12 or 13 of us that uh, that did a big event at the Jubilee. But we did it in support of prostate cancer. And it ended up being the largest single fundraiser in Canada at that point in time for cancer and in particular prostate cancer. And it was partly one of the reasons it was so well received was it was the first time we'd had the conversation. Yeah. So many men were aware that there was something down there that you might die with it. You might die from it, but you don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. I had a, my doctor has been, um, I think he's the best part. His name's John LaRue and he's probably been the best piece of that puzzle too. I would, I would suggest that trust your doctor. Um, because he was like, look, I'm, he's like a few years older than me. And he's like, look, man, it, it is what it is. This is my job. So don't feel bad. I signed up for this. And he said, uh, you know, here we are. And, uh, and it's no big deal. So let's, let's just do this. And here's how we get through this without being, without it being uncomfortable. Uh, you know, so talking to your doctor is a good thing around mental health though, Brett. I mean, 
Well, sorry, just before we jump and slide yeah. to that, one of the key things is, uh, I mean, the, everyone knows about the digital exam and they squirm over that. But the first and probably the most important data point is your PSA, prostate-specific antigen, and it's a blood test. And you hear some medical professionals, and I'm going to put quotes around that word professional, who argue that you don't need to have your PSA done until it's meaningfully advanced and into your 50s. And what I've discovered, and it's very, very clear, it's the rate of change of your PSA. So if it goes from one to two quickly, that's a problem. If it goes from two to five, very, very slowly, it may not be a problem. It's the rate of change that really? we're watching for. And there's still people, in fact, the Canadian Cancer Society, I tore them apart. This was 20 years ago. They retracted and apologized. But they talked about having extra PSA tests done when it only affected, and their words were only, 5,000 men a year dying from prostate cancer. Yeah. Well, quite frankly, I would have been one of those 5,000 if I hadn't been tested at age 43, if I'd waited to age 50. So my real message is get the data point. It's an extra 30 bucks if someone charges you for it, but get the data point and start at 40 so that you see it every year, every two years, whatever it is. But get the data because data information won't kill you. Ignorance might. Yeah. We, um, I just found out that my grandma uh, suffered from depression. Uh, another one of those family things, right? Um, and uh, her health was tough. She was at home sick as long as I can remember. And um, I didn't ever see it, right? I didn't ever see that part of, of my grandma. She was always amazing. And... Um, and so it was just recently said to me about depression. And, um, and then I, I started to reflect and here's me at 45 kind of going, you know, those days when I sort of couldn't drag my butt out of bed. Um, mm -hmm. and I got into this habit of working. I would work myself to a point of exhaustion when my body would choose to shut me down. Um, you know, new business development idea, radio show stuff, running kids around anything I could. And then I would almost work myself to the point. I had this, this active habit in my life, right. Of, of, of pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And then I realized that's possibly a depression yo-yo that I had never even acknowledged or even thought could exist. Um, I've now learned that I'm not alone in that. Hmm. You know, before I ended my marriage or our marriage ended itself, which was about 20, 23, four years ago, um, a couple of years after that, I saw a list in a magazine or something that said, here are the 12 signs of clinical depression. And I went through the list at that time and I'm going, yep, yep, yep. So and I somewhat facetiously say nine of them were obvious and three, I was still in denial. Yeah. And the reality was that I had without support in any way, shape or form, gone through a fairly severe bout of depression, whether it was tied to the bi. I have been diagnosed with a mild form of bipolar. So the good news, it's mild. The bad news, it's bipolar. So I have to live with some of the cycles, but I work with supplements and I have worked with a couple of psychologists and I'm pretty comfortable with that. But the dark side and the dark cloud, and we've all had friends that we've lost at all ages to, um, to suicide but the, the extension of anxiety and depression is feeling irrelevant, feeling meaningless, feeling unloved and unneeded. And you start to get into that space. And sometimes you act out through work addiction or fitness addiction or love avoidance, or maybe it's love engagement. But there's so many tools and toys that we use and it's without discussion. And I've said now many times from stage, if someone wants to judge me for the fact that I have mental health challenges, the shame is only on them because I'm not feeling it. I'm not wearing it. It's theirs. I, I just, uh, I just had that on Twitter the other day. I, there's, there's no scenario as, as a words guy who does the language stuff. There's no scenario when um, judgment isn't hypocritical. Yes. There's no scenario where judgment doesn't say more about the person looking in the mirror, uh, than it does the person being judged. And, um, and, and that's it. That's really, it's such a crazy notion. I mean, and I'll, I'll say this too, when I'm divorced, it's like divorce guys club. Um, 
I, uh, it's, I don't mean that as a happy flag. Trust me. Um, you know, for all the guys out there, what I went through when I got divorced, I went through lack of self-worth. I went through shame, uh, lack of being a provider, um, lack of value in my radio career. These are all things that to me mattered. And, um, those are some examples. And I don't say that for any reason other than for all our brothers out there to know that, um, if you're going through those things, that's okay. Please reach out. Um, well, certainly Shane to build on that. The first time I was diagnosed with cancer, <laughs> first time, the, um, the shock factor to me was extraordinary because I couldn't look myself in the mirror and say that I'd accomplished what I wanted with family and friends. Business, yes, made some money, built a business, all that stuff. But in terms of my relationships with family and friends, I had failed. And failure doesn't go down well with me. I don't need to win, but I don't want to come last. And in this case, I'd come last. And so with prostate cancer, round one really gave me the kick in the butt to uh, upgrade me whether it was an addiction treatment program or time at a process called the Hoffman process. Um, some things that I did just to help me dig a little deeper into who I am, why I am who I am and what I want to be in terms of different 14 years later, when I was diagnosed with cancer for the second time, I'm not going to say I took it easily or took it willingly, but at least I felt complete felt complete relative to having a circle of family, a circle of friends around me. And I didn't bear the shame of not having relationships with my own kids, their partners. Hell, I hardly, hardly knew my own dog at the time. So there was, there was a lot of backfilling to do. I had done it and it really made me a better person in terms of the cancer word coming into my life, jolting me, it's like a, maybe one of those little tasers, old jolts on the side, but yeah. uh, it was a wake up call. Uh, being complete is an amazing feeling. Um, yes. Doesn't mean you're done yet. How but great does done. it feel to be complete? And as a guy who creates, I like to think I'm a guy who creates, um, how excited are, now that you have completion around it, um, how excited are you to create it to like a whole new friggin' level now? Well, certainly whether it's my grandsons or doing work, talking to other men. You know, I was literally, uh, I went almost room to room when I was at the Rocky View. I had to have surgery last week and uh, and uh, got recognized by a few people. There was a nurse couple, there was a nurse duo who looked after me five years ago when I had exactly the same surgery. Wow. So it was, what have you been doing with your kids? What's going on? How's life? Let's um, talk a bit about COVID. But it's just the chance now to have a conversation um, with men without feeling the stigma or the shame, you know, whether it's a mental health issue. Um, strangely, the last time I was in for surgery, there was a guy in the room next to me having testicular cancer. And I still remember when he admitted what his treatment was, he was like 22 years old. And I smiled and said, well, when you get older, you realize you don't need three testicles anyway. And he howled and I ended up getting a letter from him a couple of months later saying that single sentence changed my perspective going into surgery that day, knowing that you were having surgery and you never even told me why. Yeah. So it, again, as you suggested earlier in this conversation, you can inspire others without even realizing uh, what their takeaway is. Uh, w. Brett Wilson. Um, this conversation matters to you and I thank you for sharing it to me. I will acknowledge that one thing you threw in there, um, the Hoffman program, uh, just, I'm going to invite everybody, look it up. It's, you know, it might be for you. It might not be, uh, I have not done their programs. I've done similar ones and the Hoffman is on my hit list. Um, right now I'm on a two year plan. I'm hoping to accelerate that to a one year plan next year. Um, because I do have friends who have done it other than you and, um, and life altering, um, type of program. So thank you for uh, the time. I know you've had a long day and uh, recovering from your health stuff and uh, you look handsome as ever. And I guess I'm not going to see you at the hockey rink for a few months. So, Oh geez. July, hopefully January 1st, we get a, get a season going again. Yeah. Must be excited. Eh? Oh, I hope. Hey, you hope. Uh, thanks so much. Today is going to be a big day around the world. Um, by the end of the day, no matter the outcome, all of us are going to be a little bit frazzled. Uh, so um, let's, uh, let's wish everybody well on this day. And thank you for sharing the time, Brett.
I wish I could vote. <laughs> Talk <laughs> Me to you. too. All right. Take care. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Okay, sometimes the show just goes places. And I got to tell you, I'm very disappointed right now. I'm extremely disappointed that when I have a, a thing that I put into the, the, the thing, the digital thing, and then Jason works his magic and makes all the other things happen. And if I title it, are you okay with whale happy endings? Then we can't find it. There is a whale happy ending that happened in the world. I checked myself. Jason is right. It does not exist. And yet, I know it exists. There is a whale happy ending somewhere on the internet. And I was determined to get it on the show today. We'll keep trying. What the H-E double hockey sticks are you even talking about right now? There was a happy ending <laughs> that involved a whale. Um, oh. Let me try one more thing. So it, it wasn't like... Oh, found it. Okay, I it, now I get I it. Uh, I don't know if there's a piece on it, though. There's no video or audio that we can share on it. Uh, please, no. <laughs> <sighs> I, uh, I was really excited. So was the whale. <laughs> uh, all right, should I just tell you the story, maybe? Yeah, or, may as well. At this that point, yeah. <laughs> Might as well tell you the story. Okay, so anybody who's in Alberta will know that there's been a big fight over artwork in Calgary and southern Alberta because there was a big thing about spending money on artwork. And the city has spent money on, like, the stupidest artwork. We're not talking, like, cool artwork like downtown Vancouver and, like, the Lego-looking Orca. Right? We're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about, like, here's a blue ring with street lights on top. And it looks like a giant cock ring in the middle of nowhere. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, just I call it. it a giant cock ring. You might just call it a cock ring. I just pictured it, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, art, art's subjective, man. Okay, well, then anybody, I invite you to Google Big Blue Ring Calgary. It even has a Twitter account. So, um... Anyway, uh, this is a story that came out of, um, I might as well just tell the story now, because, I mean, hey, why not? Here we are, and it's whales and happy endings. We have to now. We have to at this point. So there, once upon a time, there was a metro uh, train in the Netherlands, and it was cruising along, and it got to the end of the track. Well, it turns out um, it didn't stop, and it it was like an elevated, kind of like a BC Sky Train, not like a Toronto subway train, but a BC Sky Train. And so it was, it was, it was cruising, and it got to the end of the track, and got to the end, and didn't stop, and pop, it popped up like a, like it popped over the barricade. Now it would have come crashing down to the ground for what looks like about twenty or thirty feet, but it turns out there was a sculpture of a whale underneath where the train popped off the track. And the whale's tail caught the train and saved it from falling onto a path down below. Whoa. Um, we'll tweet it out. What are the odds? Um, yeah. So the, the whale, it was a happy ending for the train because the whale saved the day. That Now that is truly a happy ending, folks. And also uh, less therapy. Yeah, I thought I would have had to like resign <laughs> you can't uh you can't unsee that hey let's be honest all of our minds went there everybody's yeah. mind went there uh, like what does that look like anyway instantaneously <laughs> uh, fun fact and this is the last we'll probably talk about the whale hopefully a whale's um thing oh the technical mm -hmm. term for it is a dork is it really yes like a like a whale penis wow. if you will yes it's a dork a dork it's a big dork a dork just a big dork. Just a big, huge dork. So next time somebody calls you a dork, you can just say, why, thank you. Why, thank you. <laughs> well, they were surprised that the whale's tail was so strong and uh, that this whale created such a happy ending. It was quite a remarkable picture, actually. It was like a like an end of train line where they park the trains up on stilts over water because everything in Netherlands seems to be over water. Uh, very cool. All right. Uh, I'm going to post this out um, and so everyone can see it. Well, there you go. That was I was really excited about that. Um, the text messages that are um, coming in are absolutely terrible. <laughs> I call the blue ring a smurf rectum. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, free Willy. Um, <laughs> we have massage parlors for whales now. I love it when someone says that I'm going, I'm, what are you doing? I'm going to a masseuse. Oh, you're going to a massage therapist? No, I'm going to a masseuse. You know there's a difference between a masseuse and a massage therapist, right? Oh, is there? Yeah, don't ever call a massage therapist. Oh, you're a masseuse? It's a great way to get punched. Oh, man. Uh, Richard, thank you for the text message. Uh, Richard, um, baby dork. Um, <laughs> well, if he was a whale, Richard. Um, the Netherlands is 6,037 kilometers from Niagara Falls. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, all right. I don't even know where we are. Where are we? What is this? What happened? Is this Are You Okay? Was that the plan? Yes, let's do some, let's do some Are You Okays. Yeah, let's do these like right now. Are You Okay? Uh, are You Okay with Doug Ford trying out for the Leafs? Uh, hey, why not? You know, who, who it's, there's so much wild stuff happening right now. Who cares? Let's just, let's just let everything happen all at once. Uh, he yeah. is an athlete and if Phil Kessel can make it after eating that many hot dogs, I'm sure that after his, um, cheesecake love, Doug Ford could do it too. During a press conference, Ontario premier Doug Ford was asked why he was skating around a question and the Fords always good for a response. This was his. Well, I appreciate the compliment. I, I think I'm a little too overweight to join the Leafs, but maybe I'll try out this year. <laughs> oh, Ford responses are the best. I've. It's good. He's good. He's entertaining. It's the modern Churchill. He is absolutely um, entertaining. Uh, okay. Are you okay? Are you okay with saving people's lives by any means necessary? I think I think in a pinch we would probably do something completely insane in order to save a person's life, I would think. Any means necessary. Yep. Mhm. Mm All right. Like yeah, when you have the adrenaline rush going on, you know, you can uh Pick human is capable of anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, honestly, if if oh if someone was uh, having a baby, oh. or if you know I had to rush someone to the hospital, oh, I would take the Veloster in a second. I don't care what uh, off roading I have to do to get that person safe. <laughs> <laughs> would you hang your head out the wheel and go wee wee as well? Pop pop <laughs> while you're driving. Pop, pop. Oh, the pop pops would be in full effect if I'm uh, trying to be a hero. <laughs> I always imagine uh, if I'm a hero, I'm gonna be like a uh, like a James Bond type hero, and be like have the coolest stuff, the coolest uh, gadgets. And I feel like if I do have the Veloster and I'm ripping it down uh, King George Highway to get to the hospital, I do it in the coolest way possible, like James Bond. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they name the Billy Lily, the Billy, the baby. Hey, are you okay? Um, which, by the way, um, Richard. Uh, when we said dork, he said it's Mr. Dork, please, on the text. <laughs> anyway, back to the are you okay? This is an amazing story. I love this story. In the Sikh culture, taking your, taking your turban off in public, um, it, there's a lot of reasons why you can't. You're not supposed to. It's a, it's a private thing. Your hair is, stays wrapped up, and your headdress stays on inside the culture and the faith. Well, that's uh, exactly what was used to save lives it's an amazing story. Thanks to the quick work of neighbors, two teen girls who fell through the ice in a stormwater pond in Calgary uh, will be expected to fully recover. Uh, this story is from Michael King. It's something that Kolbinder Bangar says she'll remember forever. Oh, the screams were like a deathly scream. It was so terrifying. It's just in my head still. It's, it's hard to erase. It was just unimaginable. Those screams coming from two young girls who fell through the ice on Friday. 
Passersby say the girls had ventured out onto the frozen stormwater pond in northeast Calgary. The ice gave way and they plunged into the freezing water. Those two young ladies who were in the water screaming and it was quite a terrifying experience. As they do every day, a handful of seniors were walking around the pond. They quickly went to the edge of the water, first using siding to try and reach one of the girls. But when that didn't work... They all took off their turbans and they're tying it and they're trying to throw it in the water to save these young girls. So what he said was, then they tried to help her, and they said in their in their faith, secret seek faith that it's a big thing to take your turban off, but they didn't think for one moment. Minutes later, someone brought a garden hose, and the group pulled the girl to safety, while others on the far bank helped the other. It was a wonderful experience to see. You know, uh, these elderly citizens, they're always walking around, and they're watching the neighborhood, and they went out of their way. EMS say it's always dangerous to head out on frozen ponds or rivers. Uh, it's not possible to tell uh, the, the thickness of any ice in terms of uh, what is safe or not. But luckily the girls weren't seriously injured thanks to the quick thinking of neighbours. It did have a positive ending uh, other than being uh, mildly cold, uh, some, some very early or mild hypothermia. There was no sort of ill effects or lasting uh, uh, repercussions from this incident. Some of those living around the pond are asking for a fence. Vanguard just wants others to be more careful. I really think that parents and families should be more aware of protecting your children, no matter which area you live in, ponds, lakes, to be careful. Michael King, Global News. I salute the old dudes, man. Going for a walk, saving the day. Well done. Well done. 877-399-9898. Text about the bad art. I made the comment about the bad art. Edmonton is bad for art as well. We have silver balls. Bad blind drivers. They do look nice, though, <laughs> them silver balls. Just, just careful driving around them, I guess. Yeah, careful with those ones. Um, John says Doug Ford should be part of the Leafs. I think that was a burn on maybe they would win the cup. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, there's a Leafs burn right there. Okay. Um, the, the whale... <laughs> The whale's Matt, really you... taken off here. Oh, Matt, what have you done? Okay. A dork is a blue whale penis. Ah, okay. I didn't know it was... I thought it was... I thought it applied to all For whales. All, all whales. Um, but I can see that it's just uh, very specifically the dork is native to the blue whale. Um, I, I, according to the texture, I'm going to trust that to be um, the science. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not going to look it up, by the way. I'm not going to check do, into it. Do not Google that at work. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Blue whale um, happy ending. As, dis- <laughs> <laughs> as disturbing as it is, I'm not surprised that a dork took the show off the rails tonight. <laughs> took you a know? big swinging dork to take the show off the rails. You are oh correct, Dan. Matt. Uh, okay. A whale's tail is called a fluke. Therefore, saving the train with the whale's tail was a fluke indeed. Very well put, Lyle. Ah, he sounded like a reporter. That's very good. You could run that sort of cliche segue all day, Lyle. You have a future on TV. TV reporters are the worst for that. Okay, um, question. Oh, man, this is Richard, um, uh, Mr. Dork. Um. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> I think I know which one you're going to read. I um okay, uh this is like dad joke city, but it's like dad that's had too many drinks with his buddies dad joke. Yeah, fair warning. Fair warning. Question. How do you circumcise a whale? Uh I don't know, Shane. How do you circumcise a whale? Oh my god, get <laughs> with four skin divers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, that's really good. That's really funny. Like Richard, how do you have that one lying around? Like, <laughs> like we all have the backup joke. We all do. We all have the backup joke. But Richard, seriously, how do you have that one? That's that's comedy gold right there. Yeah, he's he's been waiting to use that for a long time. Specifically, when when we talk about whales on the show, he's been saving that. Yeah. And tonight I'm is gonna... his moment. Yeah. I'm going to Google something here quickly before I read it and get myself fired. 
Um, sorry. Stand by, everybody. Foreskin divers. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. What is this? It did come up. How is it? Po Wait a second. What is my computer doing to listen to me? So there's a text here that says a uh, says something about a schmuck. And are, then I are Googled, we the schmucks? I don't know, but I Googled what is a schmuck whale, and then it came up whale penis was the answer. <laughs> oh, like I don't know how did that happen? Is my computer listening to me? Firefox, are you listening? Say yes. Yes. Oh, thank you. That's weird. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. I finally figured out the schmuck thing. Uh, is uh, schmuck is uh, a slang term for foreskin. There oh, is. there you go. We, there you, you know, go. it's a terrible day if you don't learn something new. And I think um, we all learned a lot tonight. Urban Dictionary yeah. foreskin that's removed uh, with circumcision is uh, the correct definition of a schmuck. <laughs> you schmuck. Thank you, Internet. Thank you for the Internet. Oh. No, thank God I do this show from home where I can't get fired for what I Google. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.